DMB On Demand is a love letter written to the music of the Dave Matthews Band and the eclectic family that passionately supports them. Hello, and welcome to DMB On Demand, where we explore the music of DMB and the family therein. Take a seat, get comfortable, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Man, oh man, what a awesome week for DMB fans. Live shows are back. Not only are live shows back, but they are producing some of the most sought-after set lists that they've ever put together. Uh, we've had liberated songs. We've had song debuts. Uh, we had one song where, when debuting it, Dave got emotional on stage. A little bit of good news coming from the shows. They mentioned at the very first show that there is a new album getting ready, um, that they're in the editing stages right now, but it's right around the corner. So, new live shows, new CD. It is a good year to be a DMB fan. And thank God we caught a break because 2020 was brutal with no live shows. Uh, there was even one person on night one that got on the rail and while on the rail recorded the whole show from her iPhone. And of course, as an iPhone video, it's not going to be spectacular, but it put you right there. And I, along with many other people, tuned in and didn't tune out until it was all over. I, it's such an amazing self-sacrifice for somebody to do that to to get pit tickets then to get on the rail and then to think of all the fans that can't be there that's that's the love of the dmb family that we are trying to explore here on the podcast so speaking of the live shows you can head over to our twitter or facebook group or patreon um, almost every outlet we have for DMB On Demand, and you'll find links to download the shows. We have a page on our website uh, that we update after each show. Most times we get the audio up for download within 24 hours. It really just depends on how fast the turnaround is for, with the tapers. Uh, but you can easily download the files through our website. They're all in flash format so it's lost so this is the best audio you can get um, the taper requests that you not downgrade it to mp3 and these tapers go through hell and high water to record these shows for us so i think it's important that we go along with whatever expectations or rules that the tapers put out there because it's the fidelity of their own work they want to make sure that the best quality audio is given to listen to and not downgraded to mp3 for the sake of faster download times. Uh, we're heading into the home stretch of season three here on the podcast. And during our off season, we're going to be starting up some bonus content called DMB Boomerang. I'll bring on past guests and people who haven't been on the show before, but for the past guests, we'll get caught up on how life's been since their interview. And then what we'll do is we'll start with a particular song, lyric, and idea. So it could be about spirituality in the music, and we start with bartender. And then we'll let the conversation go where 
go where it goes as we're talking. So that could drift from bartender to need uh, is done with the girl who's praying but thinks that she's not getting through. And that could lead to Gray Street with her prayers and how she's sure he doesn't listen, but still there's a hope in her he might. And we'll kind of bounce around to different songs to show just how interconnected the lyrics can be. Whether that be literal, uh, like the lyrics were made to interconnect, or if it's just our, our viewpoint, I think you'll find that we have a lot of the same approach to the music, more in, in common than apart. Uh, so we'll, we'll do that, and then at the very end, we'll be bring it back to the original topic, lyric, and song, and kind of recap the overall message that we found through the music in that episode, bringing it back to a full DMV boomerang. So that will start during our off-season in August of 2021. So stay tuned for more information about that in next week's episode, where we'll break it down even further. I think that's about it for the notes and news and announcements. If anything else pops up, you can always find us on Twitter at DMBO on Demand, or Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash Demand, or patreon.com slash Demand. If we have any further updates on the tour or album or DMB on Demand related stuff, you can find them there. So let's get into today's content. Uh, we have a special two-part episode with Scott coming up, and to say Scott's lived a interesting and dynamic life would be an understatement, and I'm excited for you all to hear how he's seen his life through the lens of DMB music. So let's jump right into history and then get on with the interview. Thanks, guys. Before we get to the interview, we'll take a moment to discuss some DMB history and news. We will have links to all information presented in the notes section of the episode on dmbondemand.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another installment of DMB History from DMB On Demand. This is Bridget again. You can find me on Twitter at BRIHAL4457. Hope everyone's gearing up for the 2021 much-anticipated tour. And any of you joining us at West Palm, come find me. We'll have a drink. Continuing from the last episode, in March 2001, the Lily White Studio sessions from the previous year were leaked over the internet. The track spread quickly over established internet channels such as Napster. Collectively known as the Lily White Sessions, these tracks were lauded by both the fan base and popular press. After critical comparison of the two simultaneous albums, fans who were less than pleased with Every Day's more electric sound were frustrated with the band's decision to scrap the work in exchange for Every Day. Many of the songs from Lily White Sessions would, however, eventually be officially released. In response to overwhelming fan support, coupled with a popular and widely publicized online campaign known as the Release Lily White Recordings Campaign, DMB returned to the studio in 2002 to record Busted Stuff. Produced by Stephen Harris, the recording engineer who worked under Lily White on previous albums, the resulting CD provided new treatments of much of the Lily White Sessions material, along with newly written songs You Never Know, and the single Where Are You Going, which was subsequently used in the movie Mr. Deeds. 
busted stuff hit the shelves on July 16, 2002. During these two years, the band released two live albums. The first, Live in Chicago, 12-19-98, features Tim Reynolds on guitar, as well as many other special guests, such as bassist Victor Wooten, guitarist Mitch Rutman, and saxophonist Matteo Parker. The second, Live at Folsom Field, Boulder, Colorado, highlights songs from both Everyday and Busted Stuff, and was released as both a CD and DVD. Tune in next week for the continuation of DMB history from DMB On Demand. Everybody stay safe, and we'll see you at the show. Each week, we have an intimate conversation with a member of the DMB family. We explore how the music of Dave Matthews Band and the deep bonds within the DMB family have shaped their life. We come to realize that while each story is unique and the family as a whole is diverse, we are sewn together by one common thread. The members of Dave Matthews Band and the people who make up the DMB family are simply people who love. We hope you enjoy this week's interview. But I feel that I'm, I'm living a unique, independent life that uh, somehow I branched out and figured some of that out, you know, after 30 and now at uh, 42, um, just uh, uh, I'm committed to being as interesting to myself as I can be. If that, how that impacts others and how they view me, that's great. But, uh, you know, I still have to live with myself and uh, go to bed at night and, you know, be able to handle myself. That's a pretty interesting way to put it. Uh, maintaining interest in yourself, being interesting for yourself. Uh, it's a pretty good way to live. What's, let's take it back to the last five years. What's been the most uh, adventurous part of your life? I had to do some quick math there. Okay. Uh, May of 2016, I was in Afghanistan. Um, and it was my second of three uh, civilian deployments to Afghanistan. Uh, I was up north on a NATO base. Ah, and even convenient for this. Uh, I was on a NATO base, mostly run by Germans. And uh, I was training Afghans. We'd fly out to train the Afghans, uh, you know, a couple, well, five days a week. But, you know, we were kind of sparsely going here, you know, every other day as individuals based on our expertise. Um, but then having some of the downtime there, which seems strange in a, in a war zone, uh, I met some guys who, uh, were in a cover band on the post. Um, and, and oddly enough, as I was walking one night back to my room, it's the evening. You can only work so much, work out so much and eat so much. And the food there was terrible. Uh, I was walking back to my room. There's other, other guy on the side of the road walking at night and he's carrying what is either a like sniper rifle case or it's a bass guitar case. And I was like, you know, <laughs> wow. That's a pretty big difference. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, uh, you know, at least I'll be friendly. And of course, you know, in my slowed down version of English, because I lived in Europe for a little while too, where I'm just like, uh, you know, excuse me, sir. Um, is that, uh, is that a, is that a guitar case where you're going? And he, you know, frankly responds with, uh, yeah, man, it's a, yeah, a bass guitar. We're going to band practice. 
And of course, I am not expecting that accent in that version of English in that moment. And I'm like, uh, where are you from? He's like, Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm like, that's I, conveniently, I was born in North Carolina, yet we do not sound the same. Right. And uh, I was that's like, awesome. <laughs> right. And he's like, yeah, uh, you know, going off the band practice. And I was like, can I come and watch? And sure, I walk in, little, uh, you know, warehouse, you know, 100 feet by 100 feet, maybe a little bit more. And uh, there's a bunch of Germans and now this American with a bass. And they're just going to play all the uh, classic 80s hits that you think cliche Germans would enjoy. And I was just sitting on a lawn chair watching this being like, what world am I in? Right? Uh, I asked when they were done, if I could come back and watch the practice again, which I assumed would be okay. They said, sure. Do you play? I was like, ha, ah, you know, I, I try, you know, I, I own a guitar or three and uh, I sing in the shower in my car alone. Right. And uh, I came back the next night and they had a mic stand and a guitar waiting for me. Nice. And I'm like, here we go with, with all two feet of me. Let's jump in. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they're like, what can you play? Do you play lead? Can you shred? You know, and I'm like, ah, you know, I, I cut the chords down. Of course, downplaying it to hopefully impress from whatever uh, impression I'm leaving. And uh, very quickly, they were, uh, they're like, you know, like, guys, let's, let's do a show, right? And I'm like, who's coming to a show and what am I playing, right? And uh, like most country songs, you know, three chords and the truth. I could even play the stuff they were playing. It just took me some time. And uh, I was given a you know list of 15 songs that I either had some vague uh, association with or had never heard of before, but I was like, I know how to play those chords. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. And uh, quickly became a huge obsession and definitely bending my brain sideways. I had performed, uh, you know, solo acoustic in, you know, coffee shops. And I mean, I'm when there's four people there, right. And, uh, yeah, so I had some exposure to it, but I'd never understood what a band would be like. So that's our practicing with the band. I'm having an experience there that I'm like, this is way easier than I thought it would be because I'm not responsible for keyboards or drums or lead or anything. I just have these chords I have to play. And just like at a concert, you know, there were uh, all of our you know, fun day shows. We can all keep the beat and we can all sing along. And I'm like, this is easier than I thought. And I didn't realize I'd done the hard part first of solo acoustic where I claim I can play guitar and I claim I can sing and I claim I can do it at the same time. Right. So suddenly I'm on this adventure and then I have to, you know, I'm balancing where I go flying a helicopter over to this base. Uh, you know, it's like a 10 minute flight uh, three times a week and I'm dealing with Afghans um, severely outnumbered. I'm not armed. I have, you know, a bodyguard that's with me though. He's a NATO guy. So of course I don't view him as being as ferocious as, you know, <laughs> most Americans there. Right. right. And, and a lot of those guys have been up North with it, but not a lot goes on. And, uh, you know, the guys I'm working with, I mean, we've been in Helmand and everywhere else. And I'm like, this is not even Afghanistan. Right. But, uh, balancing those two, uh, because, you know, working on my friendships with my new, uh, you know, European friends for, from a bunch of different countries in Europe and obviously having some street cred because, uh, and to touch on this very quickly, I played volleyball at George Mason University and then I played professionally in Europe for a couple of years, uh, playing in Slovenia, Portugal, and Denmark for kind of odd bits of time. 
Um, and then I've been in Europe before as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, I have some street cred with the Germans. Uh, I studied German in high school and in college, and now I'm around Germans and I realize I don't remember shit um, about anything. Uh, I mean, I'm like, that's German and I can tell you it's German, but I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> I'm like, as if there's a version of like Spanglish with German and English, maybe I could, I could, I could keep up, but I, I've got nothing here. Right. And, uh, they talk and they talk and they talk and, uh, they just kind of look at me and they were like, just play your part. And I'm like, okay, you Bill Belichick, like do your job. I'm like, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you one funny story about playing in the band. We were, uh, preparing for a show. Um, and you know, I've been playing solo acoustic on practice with a band and, you know, maybe there's like three people that show up for our practices and then we have the show and there ends up being like 500 people there. And you know, I'm like, my mouth won't not be dry. It's just going to be dry apparently. And, uh, we're preparing for the show and we have one of the songs because of course they're all Germans. They want to play Metallica and green day and no, no David Hasselhoff. We didn't go there, but we played like, <laughs> You know, Brian Adams hadn't been on my mind since I was in the sixth grade, and now we're doing nice. it again, right? Nice. And yeah. uh, so we're practicing Whiskey Nijar by Metallica, not the, I guess, the original Irish version or something. And, uh, you know, it's complicated enough, and we're a band of soldiers that aren't professional musicians, and we're working through the song, and we screw it up. We work through the song, and we screw it up. And Zrenko, my buddy, is playing lead. He's from Croatia. And, you know, he's playing his part. Um, you know, I'm basically on rhythm and it's just kind of there's some transitions in the songs where I'm trying to keep up. And for that song, we had, uh, you know, the, the lead singer of our band. Um, he's a German captain named Tom. Uh, you know, he's just going to sing his part and we're all doing our part. It's a band, right? And uh, so we're playing, we practice, screw up, practice, screw up. And Tom gets really frustrated and he stops. He's like, guys, let's get together. The final rehearsal. I was like, okay, one, Arnold, relax. Two, like, this is karaoke for you. We're working over here, right? Like, I'm sorry, we're not good enough for you. And, uh, but I, it, and his, he sounded just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was like, like <laughs> a lot less intimidating. And I was like, just, just relax. We're going to get it. And then we got to the show and I, from what I remember, we didn't screw it up. That doesn't mean that I have a positive memory that we got right, but uh, I don't think we, I don't think we massacred too much, but for adventures, I had never been in a band before. And suddenly I'm in a German cover band in Afghanistan. And I'm like, because of course, this is my life. What else would I expect to be? And people thought I was there working for the USO, you know, playing in a band that I'm like, one, the USO doesn't do this Two, I have enough skill set and something to be doing something actually applicable to the war in that effort. Um, and then, uh, I ended up being there in 2016 for four months before realizing the, uh, the job I had was a bit of a train wreck. And, uh, I had one specific, uh, uh, colleague that I didn't trust wasn't going to get us accidentally shot by the way he treated people. And, uh, that wasn't the overriding reason why I left. Was, but, was he just a hothead? Uh, can I swear? Is it okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, he's just a huge asshole. Um, okay. And he personified a lot of, you know, cliche things of just being like, man, I'm, I'm over here working. I'm going to go home. I'm not getting F-250. I'm getting the F-350. And I'm putting the big ass wheels on it. I'm going to get a girl. And, just, and like. Sounds and like small dick disease. Yeah. And he's like, and I'm like, you know, 
these Afghans are stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, we need to not treat, treat them like this. Because if you, re- if you remember where we are, they don't go, they wouldn't go particularly to HR to complain about us. They'll just go try to kill us. Right. Yeah. And that's an actual reality. Not that I ever think that that's ever going to happen, but it is something that happens in that theater where that can happen. And I, uh, eventually just fed up with everybody and, uh, even dealing with, some other people where I'm like, dude, I'm not here to intimidate you. I'm just here to work. I'm trying to make money like you are. And, uh, you know, whatever my former rank was, there are people that I outranked that now are, you know, my team lead and they want to take, sure. they, they want to get some revenge on, you know, former army captain Scott. And I'm like, dude, yeah. if you remember, we just met and all of that stuff isn't my responsibility that you're upset with other former army captains. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. eventually it was toxic enough and surprising uh, that it, I decided to leave. Having said that, they did cancel the whole program four months after I left. And, uh, mm. so I felt a little validated. It was like, it was a yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. And then eight months after I left, the Taliban attacked the Afghan base I was on and killed like 250 people. And I was like, ha, I know that base. Whoa. I was there. Granted, they attacked on a Friday. We were never there on Friday, just you know, their holy day. And, and how that, you know, the equivalent of like our Sunday, they, they, they got inside and, uh, you know, made a mess of things. And, uh, it was, some, it was something along the lines of like 400 casualties and 250 dead. And I'm like, yeah, I used to go to work there every day and, uh, or, you know, mo- most of the week. And, uh, then I actually got back. I was away from defense contracting for a little while. Then I went back in and the first thing I did getting back on, uh, our computers, if you will, was to look that up and see if any, if they'd identified any of the attackers and if I, they had, any of them had been a student of mine in the past, because I was suspicious of a couple of ours. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm like, uh, you know, no huge red flag, but I, if there was a bad guy, it would probably be him. Right. And, uh, I did not find anything that correlated, you know, those attackers to anybody that I knew. Um, but, you know, it's still eye-opening to be like, oh, yeah, I went there, you know, flew out there three times a week. And there was just a huge mess made, you know, inside a year after I left. So, uh, so adventures, you know, I don't have any. It was pretty <laughs> yeah. never, never get my heart rate up. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that, that, and that, you know, uh, a lot of frequent flyers, right, you know fly around the country in jets all the time. I, you know, suddenly I was flying helicopters three times a week and I'm like, yeah, it's just, is what it is, this flying death can that, you know, one thing goes wrong. We fall out of the, the, uh, air like a rock. And, uh, you know, I've had, I suppose I've had several times where I just kind of accept my own mortality. And that was one of them where I was like, I think these like Russian, I think maybe the Ukrainian, Ukrainian pilots flying these like 40 year old helicopters, you know, I just, every day I get in this thing and be like, eh, maybe today's the day. You never know. And you just smile and be like, yeah, it probably won't, you know, hurt that much. We fly high enough. Uh, just be an awful zero G, you know, track to the bottom. So, um, so that, you know, that was, that was an adventure. Um, I, I left there and I still have, you know, those mixed memories of it being like, that was so cool. I was in a band. Right. And I still think about songs that I try and play now. And I'm like, Oh, we should have done that in my German cover band. Um, but of course we weren't thinking about, uh, you know, being funny, like some Shania Twain cover that I think I could do with some metal. 
right? Um, and uh, when I, uh, yeah, so looking back on that, it, it was a, it was a interesting time, uh, and probably one of the easiest jobs I had in Afghanistan. Then I went back to Afghanistan in 2017, 2018, um, working for somebody else. And that time, uh, I was working for a special forces unit. I, I was never special forces. Um, some of my family was, but I am not, I never was, I never tried. Um, but working for an SF unit, I ended up being in uh, Afghanistan that time for nine straight months. And, uh, that was, you know, by the time that was over, I was ready to go home. Um, yet still not my longest deployment. My longest deployment when I was actually in the army in 2007, 2008, we did 14 months in Iraq. And oh, wow. I did, I did a year straight before I took my, uh, you know, R and R and wow. you know, come home and, uh, I'll try and touch on this from later if I remember, but every, everything's different. Everything's weird. And, uh, cause you've been gone for a while, but, uh, but I, I spent nine months there. I actually ended up back at that same base up north. Uh, there was no cover band shenanigans going on at that time. So uh, I was just trying to live in the memory. And I would see a couple uh, German soldiers here and there that I recognized. But my beard was a lot smaller at that point <laughs> than the full uh, the full beard I'd had before. And uh, mm. yeah, it's uh, so I've done since 2016, the last five years, been in Afghanistan twice uh, for roughly about a year during that time. And since I've been back, uh, I spent, you know, I think I did like four months in Canada when I got back in 18. Then, uh, what was I doing after that? Tried to start a small construction company or I joined a small construction company in 18 and 19, uh, back in Virginia beach, uh, just trying to understand small business and, uh, you know, getting to learn how entrepreneurs fail. Right. Cause you just, there's so yeah. many moving parts. No, that's and, a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, your partner is telling you, dude, this is going to be worse than, you know, any deployment you've been on because it'll take seven days a week, more than 12 hours a day. I'm like, it shouldn't be that hard. And, uh, you know, it turns out it's fun for a while. And then in that case with that job, it just didn't work out and, uh, you know, moved on and then, you know, unfriended everybody I knew from it. Cause I just want to forget like how crappy that was at the end. Um, and then, uh, what did I do after that? So I think I had some time off. I play a lot of golf. Uh, I can, I can fill my daytime, uh, when I need to, even if it's just short game practice. But then, uh, I looked into trying to finish using my GI bill. I, I went to, like I said, I went to George Mason in the past. And, uh, joined the army. I was an officer, but I still accrued the benefits of the GI bill. And now I'm trying to put them to, to use. And in 2017, I spent a couple months and got my, uh, CDL commercial driver's license class a, so, um, I know how to drive a big rig truck, um, with a big old 53 foot trailer though, since I took that DMV test, I have not driven a truck, so it would take a little bit of refreshing, but, uh, you know, interesting to myself at night when I go to bed. I can do that. And you know, I've got the stamp on my uh, driver's license as I can. Then uh, last year, 2020 in January, I started a welding program again, using my GI bill um, and wanting to have, I had my, you know, my army experience and my contracting experience, though, obviously those wars are winding down, but apparently will never, ever, ever, ever end. And I just didn't want to deploy anymore. It wasn't worth the commitment of time. Um, 
for whatever they pay you, you know, it just eventually doesn't, I mean, you're, you're like, Oh, I get paid more here than I do in the States. This is great. And, um, but I'm just giving up time. It's like, I like to like to tell people it's like going to prison and they pay you, but who, <laughs> who goes to jail in any kind of sense voluntarily, unless they're, you know, it's gotta be some kind of reward on the back end. Um, and not that I want to be like, uh, you know, falsely accused of murder, do 20 years and then get paid out 20 million on my way out. Um, cause I think time-wise a million a year would sound great, but I don't want to give up time. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was in welding school in Virginia for a little while and then, uh, COVID hit, and then, you know, rules and, uh, things were changing a lot in a, in a world of uncertainty here in the States, um, where I just usually live in a world of uncertainty anyway. Um, my reaction to COVID was different than others. I was like, well, let's just see how this goes. And that's the best, you know, I can do. And not that I live in the moments day to day, but I was feeling it out. I had moments where I was worried, never for myself, but for others, because if, you know, people are that vulnerable, um, I certainly know plenty of older people that are, um, anyway, I transferred to a school in Florida, um, last August. And then, uh, I mean, it's everything you see on the news isn't exactly the way it is, but Florida has been, uh, wonderful to be in since last August. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I've enjoyed, uh, my time here. I've just spent the last couple of months in North Carolina. Um, and now. Uh, back to Florida for a couple of weeks before I'll go on, take another class uh, with my GI bill up in Wisconsin, because of course it's in Wisconsin, but Wisconsin hey. in June is probably the best time. Uh, it's the best time to be in Wisconsin. Where's, where's home for you? Uh, I'm from, I, I call Virginia beach home. I went to elementary school, middle school, high school in uh, Virginia beach, Virginia. I was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I was in North Carolina until I was 10 my mom's other family's from North Carolina, so you know, probably claim dual citizenship of uh, both states. But if the people are like, "What's your hometown?" I'm like, yeah, "Virginia Beach is." Um, my parents are still there. My sister and my nephew are still there, so it's it's home enough. And then, of course, you know, Dave is coming through there uh, every summer until like this year, yeah. last year, or something. In the year before that, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah. Um, the adventures of there, uh, you know, there are times that I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bored, but looking back on, a, you know, a six month stage or a 12 month stage, there's plenty that I've done that I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Played a couple of golf tournaments, still consistent in the gym. Um, you know, uh, I've had a relationship where I haven't and you know, there it's still, I'm still interesting enough to myself when I go to bed and that's not being, you know, self-centered and narcissistic, but I just feel like I'm living something, no. uh, I'm living a life that's rewarding enough for me. And, you know, then you ask the question, what have I done in the last five years? I'm like, oh, in the last five years I've been to Afghanistan twice. Hadn't even thought about it. Huh? Yeah, I did all that. I'm like, hmm, okay. This is, <laughs> it, is it is what it is. And it, you know, it yeah. was what it was. And yeah. there, there were opportunities that I feel that I was able to capitalize on. Well, you know, Everyone has opportunities they've missed out on, and we hope that we have those opportunities again. Yeah. So <clears throat> you guys thought I was kidding when I said modern-day Mark Twain. And uh, <laughs> he asked for adventures, and you end up in a German cover band in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So I think that pretty much sums up and, and verifies what my thoughts were. Um, right. 
<laughs> Real quick, for all the listeners, what I want you to do, I want you to click pause if you have to, or scroll down if you're on your phone, go to the show notes, and in the show notes, you're going to see how to get in contact with Scott. I want you to, to stop right now, shoot him a message, and tell him that he absolutely has to follow his idea of starting his own podcast, because the man has stories, y'all, and... I could sit and listen to him for hours, and I know other people could too. So I want you to encourage him, go and shoot him a message right now saying, follow the idea of the podcast, please. I'm going to hold you to that idea, by the way. I, I'm, I'm definitely down for it. I was speaking to someone yesterday. Uh, I golfed with him two days ago, and I met him in the past. And uh, we were talking during you know the front nine, and it turns out like he's a best-selling author, and he's had like two TED, TEDx talks. And I'm like, oh. Well, we should probably talk about some ideas that I have. And uh, we we spoke two days ago, just about even just about basic equipment. He you know, tried to scare me with the uh, you know you'll do two hours of recording and three hours of editing. I'm like I might just post it. <laughs> right. Um, there's tri- there's tricks to be able to uh, trim that down. And and like I said before, I the only reason I know what I'm doing is because I fell on my face so many times with it and finally stopped falling on my face. So anything that I've learned in, in doing this, it's all yours. So there's there's tricks to help you with that. That's great. And uh, I will certainly appreciate the insight while falling on my face. Okay. So uh, just kind of continuing where you left off with your stories yeah. and applying a little bit of a lesson to it. Um, What's the being out there on your own world traveler? Um, I'm sure there's crazy amounts of ups and downs. What's the number one thing you've learned being out there against it by yourself? Like, is there is there a core lesson that you've seen pop up time and time again enough to where you're like, okay, maybe I should consider this and apply this lesson? I've thought about this recently. And whether it's just in my car, in the shower, all those cliche spots where you're just caught, you know, uh, just off in a daze. Um, and I think I've posted something, you know, I, I may try to get a little more philosophical on my Facebook page because they're actually my friends as opposed to who may ever may see my crap on Instagram. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, if I'm, if it looks like I'm going to be uncomfortable doing something, I'm just going to just embrace it. I may fail. I probably will fail, but we're going to try anyway. Um, I still need to encourage myself to do that. Sometimes I've had opportunities to play in amateur golf tournaments recently. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not really playing that well. I don't practice that much. And I look for reasons to get out of them. And then I'm like, uh, it would be way better just to get out there and I'm not going to get better at amateur golf in competition unless, you know, I'm in you know the teeth of it, you know, more often. Uh, I do embrace, you know, when it comes because, you know, uh, so I'm like six, four, 230 pounds, I kind of stand out and, you know, your stereotypical golfer physique is not exactly what I look like. And I'll be playing with, uh, people. And on that first tee, you know, they kind of catch on a little bit. I'm a, you know, yes, ma'am, no ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Kind of guy. And they're like, you know, who, who is this guy? Not that I'm super intimidating or I'm trying to be, but I think I carry enough of a presence. And I'm like that first tee. I'm like, yeah, yeah like you, you don't know anybody like me. And I try to take that confidence over that first ball, but still, those nerves come because I'm like, hey, let's not look stupid today. Um, so when I'm, if I'm thinking about what I'm trying to do, it is just 
embracing that this is going to be uncomfortable. Uh, fortunately, my, as a, the point I'm at now, I've succeeded some and failed more. And I have that experience. And there are times that I don't need to prove anything to anybody. And I'm like, I, I know what that's about. Uh, whether I'm, you know, playing singing for somebody uh, or, and, and, you know, in playing singing original material that I have now. And at first I was like, I don't want to do this because I don't want you to know what's inside. And I, I, I laugh about even the some stuff I've written uh, because I'm like, you might think I'm lonely, right? But I've, I'm not, uh, but I have enough time alone where there are certainly thoughts that manifest where, you know, I'm thinking about relationships and things like that or past relationships. And uh, as I like to roughly paraphrase David Gray, when people are like, dude, are, are you okay? Because he has some heavier you know, material. He's just like, it's just what comes out. And in my case with my writing, I'm like, I, it's just where the motivation came when it came. And I was thinking about something and, it, you know, that lyric worked with that, you know, that those notes and, you know, and I'm trying to be clever and I'm trying to piece this together. And at the end, I'm like, dude, I'm not an unhappy person. I'm not a sad person, but uh, I've, this is just what comes out and accepting that. And then last year, you know, uh, in April, when we were doing, you know, the 15 days to slow the spread, which apparently turned into 15 months. Um, and there are other musicians who are giving home performances and we've seen Dave Matthews do this, you know, plenty through the year. I'm like, Hey, you know what? This is my opportunity to jump on the bandwagon here and be like, they're not that special. I can do this too. And, uh, and I, you know, affectionately posted these things on Instagram, with the hashtag shitter sessions, because I closed the bathroom door, put this toilet seat down. And I was like, these acoustics are good enough. And my cell phone, we're taking a leap. Uh, my girlfriend broke up with me two weeks ago. Who cares how this goes? And, uh, let, let's do this. So, uh, getting back to your original question, I just, when I'm uncomfortable and I don't know what to do. I try to lean on my experience. And of course this is different at 42 than when I was 22. And if I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to do it anyway. And what is the worst that could happen? Someone's going to laugh at me. Well, I tried, have you? And I try to uh, use that. Great perspective there. Right. And I mean, what, what is life going to be other than, you know, failing, 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 small successes, and, you know, later we can be like, I, I achieved those things that were validating to me. Fantastic. So, um, we're going to kind of veer towards the, the core of the podcast now um, Absolutely. with DMB. So let's, let's just start off with the basics. Can you tell me how long you've been a fan of DMB and uh, what it was that made you a fan? Um, I absolutely am a you know, Virginia kid of the nineties. So you know, part of my environment is going to be that, uh, I remember, I remember crash coming out and being at like a, you know, a CD store that had VHS tapes and, you know, cassette tapes. Right. And, yeah. you know, whatever that foot long by six inch, you know, uh, uh, the presentation of a CD, right. When mm -hmm. I was like all excited, excited about Michael Jackson's dangerous CD that I was going to get. But like the artwork on the, uh, the that long envelope of a case was exciting. I remember uh, Crash coming out. You know what? I take that back. It was uh, under the table and dreaming because I remember standing there and putting headphones on and listening to 
the beginning of Satellite and being like, not that I did not I play guitar, um, but listening to that and being like, that is so interesting. And I just like the way that sounds. Yeah. Um, and then again, you're, you're in high school. Uh, I, I golf a lot now and I'm around high school golfers and, you know, I see the cliche things that they get into and I'm like, was that me? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Dave became a thing and, you know, he's, you know, traveling around a lot, a lot, a lot. And then, uh, when, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my parents go to church, we have youth group and things. And my youth group, uh, there was a parent, uh, who was trying to put it together for some of the kids to go to a Dave Matthews concert. And it just turns out it was the new year's Eve 96 show. And like, I don't think I've been to a concert ever. Um, and then of course, looking back on historically, I'm like, I was kind of at a significant Dave show for my first one. And uh, a little bit of my sheltered life, uh, you know, he's playing watchtower at the end. And I'm like, I don't know this song. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I was at, I was at, you know, that was my first show, New Year's Eve, 96. Um, so probably maybe 94, 95, though, you know, it's a long time ago, a little bit of a blur. Uh, I was getting into Dave, went to that show and was just like, yeah, this is, that was fun. And some of it may have just been like being at a show, um, but connecting with the music and, and liking it. And then just going home and, you know, listening to Satellite again. <laughs> So there is a, um, I don't know how to explain it. There is a level or a, a tier of fandom I found within DMB. It starts with uh, hearing the music and then it grows on you and then you become a fan and then something happens and you become in, like completely engaged with the music and, and the DMB family and the community. What was it that that elevated your int from being just simply interested from the perspective of the guitar playing and liking the music to being kind of uh, all in with it. Was there a live event or was there a, a situation in your life that it hit you and all of a sudden you're all in? So I went to another Dave show six months later, and of course it turns out to be somewhat significant as well. I was in Denver, Colorado for uh, a high school volleyball tournament, you know, air quotes, nationals, you know, which you know, cornhole nationals now. So maybe not that important, but, uh, I was there and I, uh, my team folded before we went and I just traveled, uh, to watch, you know, the, our better team play. Um, and as I was there, I had a friend who was there and it happened that Dave Matthews was playing Red Rocks, uh, in, you know, I guess it was July 97. And you were uh, he, Red Rocks? yeah, not the, not the, uh, 94 and like 95 show. I was uh -huh. at the 97 show. Um, still, uh, but it was yeah, it was before the 95 show came out and I was just like, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And so I went to Red Rocks. I don't remember much about it. I think, you know, uh, it, I, you know, looking back at the set list or my memories of it, his rough, this is before, uh, don't drink the water came out and he was playing, uh, you know, leave me praying, whatever the, uh, the precursor to don't drink the water yeah. being finished was. Yeah, and I remember the, the, the emotion, the wailing and being like, yeah, I like this guy. Right. Um, and you know, I'm from Virginia. He's from Virginia. Now I'm in Colorado and he's in Colorado. Right. And just making these silly, you know, uh, 
association as an 18 year old. And, uh, so I went, I was at that show. Um, and then it just kind of became like, I want to go to more of these. And it's not that I even wanted to go to more concerts in general and, you know, full admission. I hardly go to any other concerts. I just go to Dave shows because I know what I'm going to get from those guys. I've seen them yeah. you know, as many times as I've seen them at this point, And I just know I'm getting professional level musicians that are focused on what they're doing. And I then as well am like emotionally connected to the music. And uh, I think probably, you know, it started just becoming like I was going to go to, you know, the Virginia Beach shows, you know, the next summer when it came and uh, you know, they were, you know, the winter tours are sporadic and obviously don't happen very much now. Um, and I just kind of got a routine. Um, and then over time, you know, suddenly I'm like, well, I mean, they're going to be playing here in Virginia beach and tomorrow night they're playing Charlotte or playing Raleigh. And then after that, they're playing Charlotte. Well, I mean, I've got my family down there. I got, I got places to stay. Let's do all three, you know, and as a you know broke college student, I'm like, Oh, I can afford this. Right. But I'm like, I, this is an adventure. Let's go do it. Right. And, uh, sometimes I'm going you know, by myself or, you know, getting two tickets and just trying to, you know, bring my brother and my sister along. I don't remember, remember exactly who I was with. So I do remember I wasn't going to those shows alone at the time. I've done shows solo since then, but, uh, I don't, I don't think I was brave enough to, to run off to, uh, to a day show by myself and at least have someone to sit with someone to, you know, listen to me, try to sing and hit those notes. Yeah. Um, and I think, and, you know, and over time it just kind of snowballed. I had friends, you know, so I played volleyball, George Mason for my last two uh, years of eligibility there. And I had friends from, you know, Chicago and, you know, from, you know, different parts of the country and the world. And, uh, suddenly like I'm, I'm making like justifications to be like, dude, he's playing soldier field and he's playing Summerfest, you know, and he's playing those, you know, He's playing like three or four, you know, three shows in like, you know, a week. It's the summertime and I'm not doing shit. Let's go. Right. I got a friend's place to stay at. And then it's like, yeah, I never been soldier field and I'm a bears fan. And suddenly I've been on that field. Right. And I, you know, you know, just hoping and praying my warehouse membership tickets, you know, pan out. I'm never first row. I'm always second row and I'm always to the side, but you know, still like, I'm not going to complain too much. And, uh, I, you know, the momentum was building there with the band, you know, um, kind of in their heyday. Um, you know, they, they've had, you know, a, maybe a lull or two in there, depending on your taste of music. Um, but still the live performance was, has always been, you know, top notch with, uh, you know, a couple songs here and there where you know, I'm like, I don't need to hear it, but you know, I'm just appreciating the, sure. the musicians. Right. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite concert moment? Um, well, I've been, so the New Year's Eve show, the Red Rock show, um, you know, there were a couple concerts I was at where they played something for the first time and I'm like, ah, that was cool. Right. I remember being at Dave and Tim when no one ever heard stay or leave before. And I was, it was a, it was an ODU and he played stay or leave for the first time. And it's a wonderful song. And then emotionally connected to it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. wow, I was at the first the first time it was ever played, you know, and then you find, uh, you know, online, whether it's, you know, through tapers or whatever, you get a copy of it. And then I just never stopped listening for like two weeks. Right. And I'm like, you know, like, Oh my God, this is totally me. This is my song. Right. Um, yeah. There's, 
you know, looking back on shows, you know, there's, there's been some excitement, like, um, like I was at Piedmont park and that was my last show before I deployed to Iraq in 2007. And then of course, that's my last show where Roy played. And, you know, there's some highlights from that show, um, and songs that, you know, I just fully, uh, I just really love. Uh, and I, of course I'm drawing a complete blank on it right now. I think actually it's like the warehouse intro, um, where Dave is kind of, you know, doing his solo thing going into warehouse, you know, and I've always been a big fan of that, that solo warehouse wailing, uh, yeah. bit there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, that was, uh, you know, like Piedmont Park was great. Um, their first video release of The Gorge, I was at that. And it's just, again, I'm just random, like, how did I end up there? And I watched that DVD 10 times, and I never saw myself. And then I was at my friend's house, uh, the high school friend's house, and we put it on because he, he hadn't seen it. And I'm like, you know, bro, it's sick. Um, and we start watching it. And of all the moments for me to see myself in the video... I see myself, the, the camera's panning from behind on my frosted tipped hair. And it's, it's, it's during Carter's intro to Halloween. And, you know, at, and at the time that was like the best Halloween anyone had ever heard, or at least in my estimation. And, uh, and I was like, of all of the moments I'm in, in Carter's drum solo, you can see me in that DVD. Fast forward 10 years. I, I'm in Afghanistan and they've released the audio video of, uh, the third night of Atlantic city, uh, the caravan series they were doing. And I'm watching that and watching that video, you know, just tripping out. Cause I'm like, dude, that was another show I was at and they've actually put the video out and watching the video. I've never seen myself and I keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. And like, you would think I'm making this shit up. I see myself in the video during Carter's intro to Halloween. Oh, wow. And I'm like, of, of all the novelty songs that don't get played enough that you're super excited about, I saw myself in the intro to both of those while Carter was doing his intro. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one for uh, fate and destiny, but I'm, that's fucking weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I've gone back and watched more of the videos, and you can see me, like, in, in seek up for, like, a second, because I'm, like, on the rail to the side from that, like, center access. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's me. And, I mean, it's, like, I'm going frame by frame, and it's, you know, definitely the side of my face. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I know it's me, and you probably agree it's me, but I was clean shaven then with a hat on, and, you know, I'm shaving my head bald with a beard now. So... But I know it's me, and that's all that matters. <laughs> but I've, you know, again, I've been uh, lucky to be at uh, a couple shows. You know, Dave and Tim in Vegas they, that they released the you know the audio of that. I was at that randomly, uh, and I was, yeah, and it, it just and I, I you know some some video uh, some of the shows are not video, but there's you know, I was at it, and you know then you're just scrolling through YouTube just relentlessly because, you know, someone has something recorded and I'm like, yep, yep. I was at that. That was really cool. And unfortunately, sometimes it taints the memory of the, you know, if I, if I really think about it, I can remember the Wailing intro to so damn lucky at one of the Vegas shows, either the first year or the second year. And I was like, that was really exciting in the moment. And now I've just kind of conflated that memory with YouTube, you know, you know, whatever it was running like 720p, which we were excited about at the time, you know, with our, you know, three and a half megapixel cameras. Um, and it's, uh, 
again, I just, I've been in a couple moments that were really cool. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to have those memories as opposed to being at everything that was, you know, lackluster and, uh, you know, just, just another show. And, and I'll, and I will say, uh, uh, one more thing when I was talking about my last show before, um, before Roy died, I was in a wreck when that happened. Um, I was aware of the accident. I think everybody was. And, uh, I was at, you know, work, August 18th, August 19th, so whatever it was. And, uh, one of my soldiers was like, sir, someone from the Dave Matthews band died. And I don't remember how, I don't remember having a moment of like, Oh God, don't let it be Dave. Right. But I, I guess it maybe think about it now. I was able to, I was like, you know, I guess it's Roy and I go over and it says, you know, Roy Moore. And I mean, this is a band that I've known and I've been quite loyal to, um, just, just as a, you know, as a casual fan, but I've been watching them play live for, you know, a dozen years at this point and they don't know me. Uh, maybe they, maybe they recognize me. Maybe some of the, some of the band would be like, I've seen that guy before cause he's really fucking tall. Um, but they don't know me and I'm, and now Roy's gone. And I remember just, uh, I'd been in Iraq for, I think 10 months at that point. And I'm working a night shift from 9 PM to 9 AM. And I worked that shift for a year. I went 343 days without a day off. And, uh, not that it's crazy all the time. It's hardly ever crazy, but it's still, uh, a lifestyle that just, you don't realize it's wearing on you. And then it does. And then Roy died. And I remember just going outside and just fucking crying. And I mean, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. And everything that had been building up just in my everyday life in the army in Iraq, I was like, apparently I needed to cry about a few things. Um, but, uh, like most of us felt that are, you know, ardent Dave Matthews band fans, we lost a friend, um, you know, even a distant relative, if you will, because you spent so much time with him and you appreciate him so much. Um, and, uh, I think some, while we were there sometime after that, you know, like the live tracks came out and they, it was bartender from that night and there was no more emotional version of bartender than Dave screaming his lungs out after his friend died. And, yeah. and listening to that and just, you know, crying and just, you know, as superhuman as I sometimes want to feel like I am when I'm in the gym, picking up things I shouldn't be trying to pick up. We're all still human. And that shit hurt, man. Uh, and, you know, looking back on the, the core of that band, you know, that was, you know, those are the golden years. Um, I'm a big Rashawn fan. I think Rashawn did a lot to save the band, whether that's true or not. That's my impression. Um, I, he did, I 100% agree. I feel Rashawn. Yeah, he and uh, I, I was uh, Charlottesville show a couple years ago and he was side stage. You know, big man's got to rest his feet for for a minute. Right. And he comes side stage. And I guess he's he's talking maybe to his friends or family. And, I, you know, I'm on the last row on the side, on the last seat and the exit tunnels right there. And he's standing out there for a second. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm sitting here wanting to write the man a love note, you know, on a napkin that has, that's beer stained. And I just was like, Sean, we love you, man. And I wanted to be able to articulate more to be like, 
to tell him, like, I, I don't know if my impression's right or not, but I feel like you saved the band. And, and I don't know if you can comprehend the amount of love that we have for the band and now you for letting them do what they do that gives us that much joy. And, uh, mm. I mean, if I, if I ever saw him, he's getting, you know, a, a big bear man hug that may make him uncomfortable and it's coming from me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then on top of that, where, um, uh, where Jeff was able to step in and so quickly have to learn all those roles. And I watched an interview with him or others talking about, um, Jeff stepping in and taking Roy's, uh, place with, you know, incredibly, uh, big shoes to fill. At least he was, uh, you know, he knew the band from, you know, being with Bella for so long and, you know, Bella and Dave and them playing together for so much for so long. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. again, what those maybe, you know, maybe it takes two to replace a giant like that. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a big, emo that was my biggest kind of emotional moment while on that deployment, because again, we, you know, we all lost a friend slash, you know, relative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when I have a guest on, usually I ask them universal questions, like your favorite song. Right. Right. I'm going to do that with you. What I'd like to do is I'd like to stay in the slice of time of the last five years, specifically yep. when you're in Afghanistan. So during that time, did you have a, uh, a favorite song or a song that got you through that you leaned upon? Uh, for the longest time, it's always been bartender and specifically that version from LA the night that, uh, that Roy died. Um, I remember it may have been, I think the first time landing in Iraq in 2007, I was listening to bartender as we landed because I was like, I'm going to an environment I've not been in before. And, uh, the bartender from, uh, radio student, Radio City Music Hall was, uh, it was that version of Bartender. And obviously this is before uh, the LA version later. Uh, Bartender's always been uh, the song, right? Um, you know, I, I'm not a religious person, but there's a lot of uh, themes in that song where, you know, you're, you're contemplating your life and there's a lot of unknowns. What comes next? Is it nothing? Is it something? And uh, I've always, uh, related to that song really well. And I remember Dave saying something about like when he wrote like Grace is gone and bartender roughly in the same period, I believe um, how he was really happy with what he wrote and for how that song has lasted um, with the, uh, I mean, no one's ever going to be upset when they hear a bartender intro, right? Um, whether, you know, it's, you know, the intro is it kind of, you know, moans in at the beginning of the show or in the middle of the show. Um, so that song has always been there. Not that I'm obsessed with life and death and I'm worried about my own demise when I'm in, you know, when I've been in Afghanistan, but to me, it grew where that song be kind of, you know, it's, it's what I identify with in general, but even more so when I'm there. Um, then on top of that, there's a, Oh, city field show, I believe in 2010, 2011. And the, the, the so damn lucky, um, so damn lucky from that, uh, show. And I think it, it ended the show based on what Dave does at the end of the show. Um, that live version of so damn lucky, I believe I'm personally responsible for 5,000 views because it, it doesn't really go many days where I'm not listening to it. And I know that that would drive other people crazy. They're like, you just listen to that song all the time. I'm like, I know and it doesn't get old. 
right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so probably those two songs, and I know in the, the, the questionnaire, I put uh, Black and Bluebird, and I was at uh, oh another show. I was at uh, they released in live tracks, uh, I believe uh, Alpine in 2016, maybe, uh, maybe it was in 2016. One of the, whatever whichever Alpine show they they went, I was at that randomly, and he played Black and Bluebird. Um, and I love that song. Like it just, I was listening to it today. Um, just because I knew I might answer something on it and I should be, you know, be like, yeah, yeah, I listened to it today. But I just, I love that song. It's so random. And Dave, I think admitted in an interview where he was just kind of piecing things together. And I'm like, ha, I can relate to that. The songs I've done. Cause I'm, if you had seen that, you know, it looked like a ransom note I put together of just random ideas just to form, you know, some, uh, thoughts and, this is what the song became. I just really, really love that song um, where, you know, you're alluding to relationships and, you know, you know, uh, it'd never be the same since I met you girl. Right. And I'm like, I, you know, again, mostly single, I'm all over the map, but again, I, I understand that emotion with, uh, with your connections with, you know, loved ones or potential loved ones. Um, and then, and then on that, I would also like to say that lying in the hands of God, uh, and again, it feels like I'm just getting into the heavy stuff, but maybe that's what's most, uh, rewarding. I love the shit out of that song too. Um, and, uh, I've been, I was listening to, uh, like the live version from, uh, city field, Atlantic city. And, you know, some of the novelty moments of that, Mike Davis hitting notes that, you know, maybe. I could get halfway there. And there's a reason I don't sing in a falsetto all the time. I'm a big dude and I probably still couldn't hit those, right? In my wildest dreams. But maybe just on the on the on the surface, those four songs. You know, a couple live bartenders, that one specific so damn lucky. Um, Lion in the Hands of God, studio version's fantastic as well. And then that live version from Atlantic City. And then Black and Bluebird. Um I really like the uh, live version from Alpine, but now just the studio version is just, you know, it's clean, it's clear. And, uh, you know, those songs just resonate with me a lot. Um, and I mean, to make you laugh, some of the heaviest lifts I've ever done in the gym, I was listening to fucking Coldplay, right? So it doesn't, <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be where I'm like, I've been right. saving this Nine Inch Nails song for a week because I knew what <laughs> I was going to try to do on Saturday morning, right? Um, and, I think the other day I was actually listening to classical music in the gym because it just resonated in the moment. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm actually having a reaction to this. Um, and, uh, yeah, this, th those four songs, you know, off the top of my head really, uh, really resonate with me and, you know, give me, uh, what I need or when I need it. So I think there's, um, in the universe, I, I, I have no, I don't, I don't know what everything's about, uh, but I do know that our whole universe is so complex that it can't just be a series of events. There has to be some sort of influence on it. I'm, I'm sure of that much. And the reason I'm mentioning this is two or three episodes back, we talked with Pamela and we spent nearly entire episode discussing the spirituality found in DMB music. And it was amazing because 
the things she was saying to me and the things I was saying to her were things that we thought nobody else really took from the music and find out that there's somebody out there who's uh, similar in nature. So the next interview I did, I kind of toyed with the idea and I put it out there. And sure enough, that person also had their own specific ideas about which songs and which lyrics composed their spirituality, so to speak. So we record this episode a few weeks in advance. So right now, what I'm working on as as you're listening to my voice is I'm about ready to launch a new Facebook group called Bartender Please. And it's going to be a place for DMB fans to go and discuss their spirituality and what music helped build it. And the topics can be God, faith, devil, despair, hope, joy, love, anything that they find in the music that's helped to build their own spirituality. So the fact that you're honing in on bartender and lying in the hands of God, this it's like I said, I don't know if I believe in divine providence, but I think if you're looking for signs of affirmation, if you're heading in the right direction, you'll see them. And that's kind of what I'm sitting there listening to your answers and my mind's just blown away. Uh, just, just, it makes me even more excited for this, this new project that I'm taking on. By the time you're listening to this, um, on your podcast app, it will be open and ready to go. Just go to Facebook and search Bartender Please or go to dmbondemand.com. You'll find some features there for Bartender Please and uh, kind of join in what Scott was doing, what Pamela did a few episodes back and, and just talk about your spirituality and, and how the music has helped, helped shape it. Um, mine is blown. So favorite song five years we got uh, a few songs there what about lyrics has is there a, is there a lyric that comes to your mind over the that over the past five years you've kind of been drawn to more than any other on the point we we're just making as long as we accept that if we do like the song ehe we are contradicting ourselves because the lyric of uh, just a collection of cells overrating ourselves yeah. I, that that and Dave's agnosticism, as I believe he he has declared before, which I can relate to. Um, I'm like, there's so many things that are like, there is definitely life after this and we're, you know, whatever, whatever. And then there's songs like that. It's just like, you know, get over yourself, you're nothing. Uh, so it, it, the yeah. juxtaposition of both of those, of those positions is apparent. And I think that it actually lends credibility to the band that, it, you know, they're diverse enough. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to, you know, come out with something completely off the wall. Um, right, right. But uh, well, let me, I'm sorry, let me interrupt you just real quick. Yeah. What I'm, what I, I want to be clear for the listener, when I say spirituality, I, I do not mean Christianity. I mean, whatever it is, the components that build up your emotional base. When I say spirituality, I mean, whatever it is that connects you with what you believe in. That could be love. It could be any, I, I don't want to be so specific to say that this is going to be like a religious situation because it's definitely not that right and i appreciate the, you know, the clarification myself um and i still make that point of being like there's stuff that's obviously it would sound like jesus i mean and he's saying jesus in bartender right yeah. and then you know and he years later different song you know it's just a different a different not that he's uh, wanting to send a different message, but it's a different song. And if you're in there, you know, splitting hairs on songs, you're like, hmm, that's different. And I like it too. 
All right. What was that other question? It was essentially the same question as your favorite song for the past five years, oh, but it's, it's about the lyric. So uh, probably in, uh, in those songs, I, mean, I, don't remember, I don't remember what I put the question there. Um, there's just some really clever bits in, you know, Black and Bluebird, where you, you, I, because I know he said he was just piecing that song together. And it's like, I, I it just, you know, I think Black and Blue, I think Bruises, and it was Black and Blue Bird, and it's a different, it's a whole different thing. Lion in the Hands of God being similar, obviously the album coming out after Roy died, we can associate it with that, but sometimes I don't think that that song is about that at all. Um, not about Roy specifically, he didn't, you know, write the Roy song. Um, I remember transcribing on a piece of paper uh, the bartender lyrics uh, when I was, when it first came out, just before the album came out, we had like live versions of this and then my dad found it, you know, and I'm, you know, a 21 year old in angst and my dad wanted to talk to me about this. Right. Um, like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's a, you know, it's just a song, dad, leave me alone. Um, but of course, if I saw, you know, someone else writing that stuff out, I, I might just do a little, uh, health and safety check to make sure you're good. I'm like, it's just a really, you know, meaningful, beautiful song. Um, you know, I can get super excited about singing Shake Me Like a Monkey, but you know, it's definitely much more of a service level song. And, uh, you know, I'm looking for, you know, ways that Dave writes that, that, you know, that have the depth and, uh, you know, invoke a lot of, a lot of thought. And then you, you know, obviously all the musicians in the band, I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet, I've met Tim before and I met, uh, Stefan before. And, you know, that's a, it's a weird moment because you're like, these are real people. I mean, I see them at the show and they're real people, but they're over there. Now it's like shaking their hand or get a picture with my arm around the guy. God, I'm a lot bigger than he is. Um, <laughs> the, the messaging coming out of the band, um, again, I, I resonate with the deeper stuff. And then it, there's definitely moments to pause and reflect on what's there while still in the midst of, you know, an amazing, uh, talented group of musicians making awesome music. And, uh, obviously that's probably where the hook is not to make a musical reference, but the hook is that like, it keeps you thinking and then the music's so catchy. Okay. Uh, let's see where we're going to go for this. Uh, if somebody was coming into, well, no, if somebody had never heard uh, DMB before and you had the chance to sit down with them um, and play one song for them, it's kind of a multifaceted question, really. What would you tell them ahead of time about the music? And then what song would you pick to, to turn them on to it and why? So I had that experience in my German cover band. No one has heard of Dave Matthews before in the German army. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I can play these songs, blah, blah, blah. But of course you don't know them. And I don't know Green Day's repertoire. Um, my, I referenced him before, earlier, Zrinko, the Croatian lead guitarist in the band, came to visit me in 2019. Um, and I think he was 10 days, 12 days, something like that. And uh, I, I took some time off or I had just had the time off 
And we traveled around, you know, flew in the deep, I think flew in Newark. God bless him. That's the first thing he sees. Uh, then takes a Greyhound bus down to DC where I pick him up. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you know, it's like, like the first moments of coming to America with Eddie Murphy. I'm like, yeah, all right, well, we're, we're, we're breaking you in. Got him to DC, then he was with me. And uh, he had been introduced to Dave Matthews through me. And, you know, I'm trying to pick out songs specifically to him where, like, this is Tim Reynolds and he shreds motherfuckers, right? And I was like, I, you're super talented. And this guy, you know, uh, he, he's, as Dave likes to say, he's from a different planet. And uh, then, of course, Zrinko taught me a lot about electric guitars that I didn't know that that's that kind of guitar and that's that kind of guitar and this one won't do what that one does. Um, and so I spent some time with Zrinko because uh, he was complimentary of my uh, you know, solo acoustic stuff. And while he was here, we went to uh, Dave was touring and I was trying to figure it out and surprise him. But we ended up driving to Nashville for the uh for Dave at the Bridgestone arena. And apparently he hadn't played Nashville in 10 years or something. And so, you know, that was that significant, but I was at that show too. Um, and I took Zrinko to a Dave Matthews show and, uh, you know, it's obviously a different scene, um, perhaps than like even the infrastructure of stadiums in Croatia, though it's easy for them to travel, um, around Europe, but um, we're at the Bridgestone arena. We're on the floor. Definitely not as close as I wanted to be, but then we see Dave Matthews band play and I'm like, dude, you're like, this is significant because of the impact that this band has had on touring. They're not pulling Metallica or U2 or Elton John numbers, but like, you don't understand what this band has done in this country for touring for the last 25 years. And I did my best to introduce him to that and then associate, you know, what his specialty would be, which electric guitar and shredding and being like, watch Tim do this. Right. And so when I would talk to other people about Dave Matthews, you know, if I'm talking to a woman, you know, I'm not like, this is Tim Reynolds shredding. It's like, Oh, this, uh, you know, crash. You'll like that. If you actually learn what it's about, kind of creepy, but I think you'll like it if you don't dig in too deep. Uh, and they're like, this is a very popular song. And they're like, Oh, you know, that's nice. I don't know that one. And, and of course nobody does. Um, though Dave has done, you know, a lot of, to travel, you know, and play other parts of the world. And I, sometimes I wonder how they sell out places in Portugal because I'm like, I lived in Portugal and I sure didn't hear Dave Matthews band playing anywhere. Like, is the government just handing out tickets? Like how, how does that system work? <laughs> so I think that's a good place for us to hit pause for this week. If you'd like to tune in for the second part of the episode next week, Tuesday, uh, it will be published around 9 a.m. Stop on in and listen to part two. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the final segment for today, The Way I Heard It. We know there is such diversity within the DMB family, or community, and for this reason alone, there will be differences in how we all interpret the music and the lyrics. Each week, we select a song and ask several fans to break down the song the way they heard it. Take a listen. Perhaps you would have heard the song in the same way, or perhaps you'll find a new appreciation of the song discussed. Enjoy! So for this week's The Way I Heard It, I wanted to talk about 
one of my favorite Dave songs, hands down, uh, The Stone, which I have this long-term affection for, not just as uh, a fan of Dave, but also as just a, a musician uh, in and of itself, kind of separately from the the fan side of things. And, and it's such a striking chord progression that that consistent riff throughout the the song that that lead line is so unique and i think that it really speaks to dave's his character as a guitar player and as a musician and the the driving force behind it i mean there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of songs in in pop music and rock music that have the intensity and and the overall just dynamism that a song like the stone has especially when you're you're talking about the backbone of this uh th- this groove which all comes from that that opening riff which gets played on throughout the throughout the song and leads into some really cool really interesting and and dynamic and deep lyrics about the and and in the way that I've heard it, I uh, just the the struggles of being human and the struggles of trying to find ways to grapple with not only who you are but also with the mistakes that you've made and finding ways to to move on from them afterwards and just digging deeper and finding more meaning in the things that have made you into your your own person but i i think that it's easy to listen to the stone and hear the this this voice singing to us speaking to us and um saying i was just wondering if you'd come along hold up my head and and i think that it's easy to just say, oh, well, that's in reference to a partner or to a lover or however you might want to put it. But I think we can almost take it and look at it as that is the introspection side of a lot of what Dave writes about, a lot of what the Dave Matthews Band sings about as well, in that by taking the time to be introspective, by taking the time to be thoughtful about who you are and what you do and why you do the things that you do, building up that inner person, building up that, that inner, that, that conscious conscience rather, and hoping that you can be your own best ally in times where it's not just, in, in times where you can be your, your worst enemy as well. And I think that the, the, that softness in the chorus being a, a really nice bookend to the heavier, the, the more driving verses, uh, it, it really speaks to that kind of notion uh, in the way that, you know, you, you're trying to give yourself almost a break give yourself the opportunity to 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 reflect 
while also being introspective, of course. And I think that the stone is one of the, it's one of those songs that we all kind of agree we love, but I, I just wish we would, I wish we could hear it more. Wish we could hear it a little bit more. Anyway. We want to give a special thanks to our guests and co-contributors for this episode of the podcast. Without your valuable contributions, we wouldn't be able to continue. We hope that you've enjoyed our deep dive into the music of DMB and the community that supports them. You can find us on all social media platforms by searching DMB On Demand. Visit us on dmbondemand.com for DMB-related merch and to learn more about DMB On Demand. Until next time, don't burn the day away.